We're going to continue now with our time of worship by opening up the Word of God. And today's scripture reading comes from the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. I'm going to read God's Word out loud, but you can follow along on your screen or with your Bibles at home. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. For those reading in Spanish, Primera de Pedro, capítulo 5, versículo 6 al 11. So let's go ahead and listen to God's word with open hearts and open ears this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, he himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your precious, precious word, God, that always has the ability to refine, to restore, to teach, to redeem, to lead us toward repentance, God. God, we thank you for this morning, which represents your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you for this body, this, this church, God, which is your living spiritual body here present on earth. Thank you that we get to be your presence here in the valley, God. We thank you for the church worldwide, Lord, even here in our area, statewide, worldwide, the people of God, the family of God, proclaiming your name, moving forward in mission, God. And God, as we enter into this time of reflecting on your precious word, we pray, Lord, that you would illumine us, God, would you enlighten us, God, to know you better, to see you more clearly, God? Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Give us new hearts. Give us new minds. Help us to be opened to know you, Jesus, and you call yourself the way, the truth, and the life. Help us, God, to follow your way and to follow you always. Meet us, Lord, in the midst of our questions and shine your light of unity. You delight in your children coming together, Lord. We, pr we pray all these things, Lord, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Keep our eyes fixed on Christ and we're grateful to have started this new year. So much going on. We pray for um, just uh, our whole country, transitions of power. We pray for new administrations and former administrations as well, for God's strength, peace, wisdom, love to be over them. We're called to do that, to 
pray for the leaders of the land and we do that together as a, a church and we'll continue to and we'll definitely take some time to do that as we close our time in worship today. And uh, we're going to continue to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus um, because he is our king and he is our Lord and our citizenship is in heaven. That means that we have to be good, upright, and faithful witnesses here on earth as well. This January, we've been looking into the year ahead and we're talking about what it means to be a covenant community, to be in covenant with God and in covenant with each other, to be committed to one another in our life together as a community. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about what it means to step in and to step up by being consistent and faithful to God and to God's people. We learned about what it means to commit to covenant. Covenant is a part of the heart of God. That's what God does. God steps into covenant. He commits to us and calls us to do the same. A couple of weeks ago, my good friend, Pastor Nick, he got to share with our church community on what it means for us to stay committed to God's word over any other um, institutional principality or human word, but God's word. Then last week, we looked at what it means to commit to God's power, to be in covenant with God's power, not just human power, but God's eternal power. I love that verse that we reflected on from the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 6, that reminded us, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Today, we're going to be talking about a commitment to, to, to humility. Humility is what allows us to be teachable, and being teachable is what allows us to mature in our faith. So we're going to be committed to maturity, committed to spiritual growth, and all of that starts with a commitment to humility. And really, we're going to be looking at that exactly, that commitment to humility. We, as the church, we have power. We have power to bless one another. And the church that chooses to bless one another is the church that is united together. The church that is united is the church that chooses grace and humility. Both grace and humility are rooted in God's truth and in God's love. In the scriptures we read this morning, the Apostle Peter, he calls for unity with the family of God. Unity is a theme throughout the Holy Scriptures and especially in the New Testament. And here in 1 Peter, we see a very practical first step toward, uh, hum toward unity. And that's in, uh, verse, in, in verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6, where it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Humility before God Hum is what empowers us to truly see ourselves as we are and frees us to view God as God truly is. God is powerful. God is sovereign. God is both worthy of trust and worthy of praise. Humility eliminates all of our attempts to categorize each other and to dehumanize one another. 
Humility is the pathway to unity, to unity together as the family of God and as the body of Christ. Humility leads to teachability and teachability leads to wisdom. Some of you know that in my undergraduate studies, I, I studied philosophy and I still love philosophy and the history of philosophy. And one thing that was just very striking to me is in coming to learn that the origins of Western civilization and of Western philosophy, a lot of that can be traced back to an ancient philosopher in ancient Greece by the name of Socrates. And Socrates had this foundational idea. And it's very simple and profound. Socrates was curious because he was aware of this. Socrates said, all I know is that I don't know. He was aware of that. That made him curious. And in fact, all of Western thought and Western civilization, so much of it really traces back to that concept. All I know is that I don't know. The sciences, history, the arts, all of that came from that concept that led to curiosity and teachability. That's, that's one thing that Socrates thought, and that's really a sign of wisdom. All I know is that I don't know. The fool, on the other hand, that the Proverbs talk about in the scriptures, doesn't view things that way. The fool is actually unteachable because the fool says, I don't know what I don't know, and I don't care to know. That's the difference between a wise person and what the scriptures call a foolish person. The wise person is teachable. The foolish person is unteachable. Friends, brothers, sisters, the first step toward a unity in Christ is humility. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That's why Christian thinkers and leaders and theologians throughout the centuries and throughout history have really identified humility as the most distinctive Christ-like virtue. We talked about St. Francis last week, and there's another um, ancient Christian leader by the name of St. Augustine. In fact, the very first city in what is the United States territory today in the land in the state of Florida, Florida was a city named after this person, St. Augustine, Florida. It was the first official U.S. city. And Augustine was once asked, he, he was an ancient uh, Christian leader in North Africa, and um, he was once asked what the three most distinctive Christ-like qualities are. And um, Augustine responded to that and said, I can tell you the top three Christ-like qualities, and they are humility, humility, humility. If we want to reflect Christ, we must reflect humility. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the good news that saves us, the gospel is a story of how God humbles himself. He humbles himself to become like us so that we could be united with God and with one another. En el Evangelio, Dios se humille para salvarnos. We see this in the book of Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians 2, we see this 
virtue, this distinct aspect of who Jesus Christ is. That Jesus Christ humbled himself. We read about it in Philippians chapter 2. And this is a very ancient um, piece of the scriptures. And in fact, some believe that it was actually a hymn. It was a song that was sung about Jesus through the early church. But in Philippians chapter 2, we read the following. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death. On a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. To reflect Jesus Christ is to reflect humility. One of my favorite writers, C.S. Lewis, he writes in this book in the Screwtape Letters. And there's a section there on um, what the woman of God is and what her strength is. And her strength is her humility. It reminds me of this passage once again in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 4 where it says that we, as the people of God, we are called to be adorned in humility, clothed in humility. First Peter chapter 3, verse 4 says, Rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. I love how uh, another version, the ESV, says it. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I love that. When I reflect on that, you know, the Bible tells us things that God detests. He detests pride, gossip. But we also see some of the things God loves, some of the things that God finds precious. And in God's eyes, Humility is precious. Teachability is precious in the sight of God. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you.
Humility is precious. On the other hand, pride and arrogance, that's detestable before God. Scriptures tell us that pride comes before the fall. Proverbs 16, 18 reminds us that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. El primer paso hacia la unidad en Cristo es la humildad. A first step toward teachability is humility. A first step toward Christ-likeness is humility. So if that's the first step toward Christ-likeness, what causes sometimes us going another direction? Us giving into pride or giving into tribalism or giving into arrogance? That's obviously in the world. We see that around in the world and country today, but it's even also amongst those in the church at times. Why? Well, when I really reflected on this, I've come to understand that pride and anxiety, that all is, is really, those are tools that are used to disconnect us, to separate us, to cause division. Pride and anxiety separate us, disconnect us from God and from each other. And the roots of that pride and that anxiety, I do believe, is a haughty spirit or, or, or is fear and insecurity. We all experience that. But when we give in to that, that's going to lead to pride and anxiety. The unteachable person in the scriptures is an arrogant person, is a proud person, is a divisive person. Arrogance is trying to play God. It's trying to play God and to think that I need to take over a situation or that reality is simply limited to only what I think or what I know and that everything and everyone else that's not within that way of thinking must be wrong. Arrogance is a refusal to believe that God is God and I am not. A failure to realize that each person's mind is simply trying to fit the ocean in a cup. The, the teachable person knows that they don't know everything. The arrogant person or the unteachable person doesn't realize that their mind is like trying to, to, to fit the ocean in a cup. We, you can't fit the ocean in a cup. Each mind is just like a cup. It can't fit the entire ocean, all of reality there. We are limited, and that's humbling. God is so much greater than, than what the unteachable person wants to admit. Arrogance, pride, that all leads to fear and manipulation. And then that manipulation leads to hiding, and then that hiding leads to fear, and that manipulation ultimately leads to hurt. And then guess what? Hurt reproduces more hurt. And I've said this before, and if you've ever been in a pastoral meeting, a care meeting with me, you know I've, I've used this phrase, hurt people hurt people. It keeps going unless there's a point of humility, of teachability. I ask that you continue to pray for me as your pastor. This past year has not been easy. It's been extremely difficult in so many ways. Part of my job is walking alongside people and praying with people in their times of joy and in their times of hurt. This is what our leadership team does as well. Please pray for them. 
And this year that just passed and even coming into this new year, I can anticipate that it'll be similar as well. But it's been a year of challenges, of hills to climb, of mountains to cross over, to, to overcome. And of it's been a year of challenges and of walking alongside people in their joy and also in their pain and in their hurt. And part of my job as and role as a pastor is to care for and, and protect um, the flock and at the same time um, make sure they're guarding their hearts, that they're taking, advise them in wise choices, but also to speak the truth in love. And so please continue to pray for me as I pray for you, as we speak the truth in love, as we walk in humility together. And as I've told you, it's been a very difficult time and Humility is that acknowledgement that I can't do it all by myself, that I need help from God. I've had opportunities uh, to, to be able to seek help. And I, even now, I, I continue to seek help from mentors, from counselors, from other pastors. Seeking help is a sign of teachability and of humility. And according to the scriptures, when we seek help, that's actually a sign of wisdom because the wise person seeks wisdom and the fool's way seems right to himself or to herself. Proverbs 12.5 reminds us of this when we read the following. It says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice or listen to counsel. Pride and arrogance, all of that leads to enmity, to making enemies, to making enemies of our neighbors, of our brothers and sisters in Christ, of the church family. That's, that's all the way of the world or of the principalities that tell us to do that. Make enemies with those who don't immediately agree or think or look like you. But when we put on the mind of Christ, when we cover ourselves with humility, we come to realize that the actual opponents, those that disagree with us, are not in fact the real enemy. This book of 1 Peter told, told us here to watch out for your enemy, the devil who prowls along, uh, uh, along like a lion waiting to devour. The actual human opponents are not in fact the real enemy. Other people, they are actually broken sinners in desperate need of God's grace. Just like you and just like me. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of this world. The things seen and the things unseen. The gospel proclaims a new way. A different way. A peculiar way that is rooted and grounded in Christ a way that responds to difference with gentleness, kindness, and respect. The fruit, in fact, that's the fruit of what an interaction with a Christ follower should taste like. If you've ever been in some kind of um, interaction with someone who claimed to, to be a Christian and you felt it was very manipulative and odd, guess what? That's, that doesn't really taste like Christ. Because the fruit of what an interaction with a Christ follower should taste like is a person that, it was, that is gentle, kind, 
and respectful, just like Christ was, just like Christ is and has been to each and every one of us. In fact, during this time, and especially as, as we're in this new year and, and new new season as well with uh, transitions of power within our country um, since uh, last year and the election and whatnot, and uh, even with the pandemic, there's been all kinds of things going on, a lot of things, a lot of movements, a lot of inform informations, um, misinformation, online groups, all of that, um, and and all kinds of things claiming to put a Christian label on it, claiming Christianity. But here's what I would say as your pastor, as you discern through those things, don't just go with the title. Don't just go with the title of something calling itself Christian. But the more important question is, does that thing, does that teaching, does that person, do they taste like Jesus? Do they have those fruits of humility, kindness, and respect? An author that I have the privilege of knowing, um, an acquaintance actually, a colleague, his name's Chuck DeGroat, and um, he he uh, wrote a book called um, Wholeheartedness that I'm currently reading right now. But he taught he he gave this quote that I'm not going to forget. He he just shared this um, maybe a week or two ago. But he gave a great insight on how to discern, especially from those articles or movements or church or teacher or whatnot that have the title Christian in it. He, this, is what, this was his piece of advice on how to discern whether or not it is of Jesus or not. He says this. So next time that article or movement or church or teacher, if it doesn't look, act, or taste like Jesus... If it is not honest, gentle, kind, and respectful, then don't call it Christian. It can have the title, but if it doesn't look, act, or taste like Jesus, then don't call it Christian. The message that we find in Scripture, the message in the gospel in the way of Jesus is like a breath of fresh air, especially in the context that we live in today in 2021. A country more divided than ever before. We live in a culture that tries to convince us that we are God, so we make demons and enemies of those who disagree with us. And we try to claim that God is just on our side in the way we think about other non-essential things, other non-gospel things, and so we make enemies of others, of those who don't think like us. Or don't look like us or talk like us. Anxiety and arrogance, all of that is coupled with the pride of playing God. And that causes separation and separation causes disunity. The scriptures, they call us to cast our anxieties. We all feel anxious at times. I've felt anxious at times. I feel anxious at times. But the scripture calls us to cast those anxieties Onto God because he cares for us. He cares for us and knows us better than we know ourselves. 
Yes, the reality is that differences do exist. Categories do exist, but they do not determine our value. Our value, our identity comes from being created in the image of God. And our purpose comes from putting on Christ. And when we put on Christ, we clothe ourselves with humility and teachability. The Apostle Peter is saying, do not conform to the standards of this world. Do not conform to the basic categories that you've inherited or been influenced by. Or those things that have been imposed on you or put on you. Don't be arrogant or proud about all of that. Don't think my way is the highway. Think differently. Be different. Because thinking different and being different will lead to living different. And in fact, living differently, that's actually what the Bible calls holiness. That's called sanctification. Holiness is being set apart for God's purposes. When we're in covenant with God and with each other, we come to realize that actual human opponents, even the fiercest persecutors or critics, they are not in fact the real enemy. Because in Christ, we may even experience unity with those that we once called enemies. I'm sure there's stories of restoration and reconciliation of hope through relationships, even in our, in our families, in our congregation as well, that point to that, that point to this truth that we're reminded of in Romans chapter 5, verses 10 to 11. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved Through his life. Not only in this so. But we also boast in God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received. Reconciliation. Friends, brothers, sisters. Our unity and our peace with one another. Is not based in what we call ourselves. Or even in how we vote. Or how we approach certain topics. Or not even on preferred news outlets. But our unity and our peace. Together as God's family. That is based on who God calls us to be. Not just in what we call ourselves. It's okay to have differences. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. But we keep first things first and we know that our unity and peace together as God's family is based on who God calls us. And he calls us his children. Children of God called to draw near to him and draw others near to him. Children of God through faith, we are God's family, the church, and as the church, we share in our worship of God in Jesus Christ. We are united in a mission to witness to the new creation, and in doing so, we're seeking the peace and the flourishing of all, 
even those that we once called enemies. We're united not in our best selves. We're united not even in our best ideas or on how we feel by this week's transition in power in our country. That's not what unites us. Those are all perspectives and opinions. And we're not going to argue about that in eternity. Let's be clear about that. In eternity, in our life with God and with each other, we're not going to be arguing about those things. But we're going to live eternally united in following and worshiping a crucified and resurrected Savior. Jesus, the first in the new creation, the one who teaches us a new way. Estamos unidos en Cristo. Nada más. We're united in Jesus, a Savior who humbled himself to the point of the cross. A Savior who was teachable and who teaches us a new way to live, a new path to go on. And he teaches us by his Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called several things throughout the scriptures, but one of the, 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 um, the, the titles, the roles of the Holy Spirit is the role of great counselor. The Holy Spirit is the great counselor and teacher. And it is through the living person and work of Jesus Christ that you and I, the church, the family of God, is eternally in covenant and because we are eternally in covenant, that means that Jesus Christ is our unity. Can the church shout amen? Amen. He is our unity and he is our peace. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have broken down the walls of hostility, Lord God. You have taken the two and you have made one, one new humanity. And Lord, thank you that here at Imago Church, that's, that's what we really, we live by, God. Not just what we call ourselves, but who you call us to be, God. And we are yours. And Lord, I remember this scripture, Lord, in Ephesians chapter 3, chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. This can be our prayer today. For he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Who has made the two into one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father 
by the Spirit. Lord, we thank you that by you we have access to the Father, Lord. You are our unity. God, we've listened to this and now help us to live it out in this week, God. Help us to reflect you in our lives, our words, in our actions, God. Clothe us with humility. Teach us more of you. Teach us more of your heart. Lord, help us to be a good news people wherever you may take us. It's in your name, Lord, the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.